Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Fizzband's been keeping secrets, but now they are ready to be revealed. With the new book, Fizzband's Vault of Draconic Secrets, you'll discover a wealth of never-before-seen draconic power. The over 50-page book from Splinterverse Media includes dragon-themed subclasses for every class. Artificers can harness the power of gems as a gemologist. Druids can transform into dragons as members of the Circle of Scales. Rangers can track and hunt massive monsters as dragon stalkers. Warlocks can be empowered by the Great Worm Patron. And these are just four of the dragon archetypes that await you inside this book. Whether you're looking to bring draconic flair to character creation or level up your game with dragon-inspired feats, horde magic items, draconic gifts, trinkets, adventure hooks, and more. Fizzband's Vault of Draconic Secrets has everything you need to get your dragon on. Available now on the Dungeon Master's Guild. Breathe, players. Storytellers. Gamers, one and all. Breathe unto the dragons. For this is your song, your tale, your legendary adventure. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are all sitting around with the latest book from Wizards of the Coast in front of us here, Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons. And Mr. Miller, thank you for your little uh, elegy to the elegy for the first world, that fabulous bit of colorful lore uh, from the beginning of the book there. I appreciate that. That was a fabulous opening to tonight's episode. How are you doing tonight? Good job. Yeah. Thank you. I was really inspired by the elegy. Like, I got to tell you, Since we've been doing this podcast, there's lots of things that we've read, liked, loved, been totally enamored with, but there was something about that allergy that just hit me so perfectly in that moment. I was anxious to start digesting the book, and I started with that bit of lore at the beginning, which is one very odd. I don't 
usually do that. Forwards, stuff like that, I rarely read them before I read the mm-hmm. book. Today, actually last night, was the first time I did that with the D&D book. And wow, was I honored with such a great story. It really set the tone for what I was expecting and wanted. I didn't read the book sequentially. Yep. The part I read second was later on. We'll talk about that in next week's episode. But yep. what I read first was the elegy. What I read second was about the ancient or the great worm. And I think they work together beautifully. Yeah. And it was just a great way to start this book. There are amazing elements within this tome that I think have so much cool and so much use for storytellers. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. There are a few things, however. <laughs> we'll get to them. Yeah. We're going to get to those. require yeah. a little uh, sweat equity to yeah. get the goodness out. Glenn, always nice to see you also. Welcome. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good, Josh. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Ready to talk about Fizbin and his treasury of dragons. I got to agree. I really enjoyed the lore and the elegy for the first world right there and the effectively the introduction. That was a lot of fun and gave me some a condensed version, you know, of some of the cross, you know, because it was drawn from different histories of the realm. So and then they talked about how it blends together. And I really dug that. Aside from that, you know, some bits about the book that I wish could have been a little bit more uh, up to scratch, but... I think they had some opportunities in this book, yeah. Opportunities, yeah. that's a good way to put it. There's definitely <laughs> a few Like corporate there. speak coming out, yeah. So, Not that it's bad at all. I mean, it's a good book. I did thoroughly enjoy it, what I've read so far, but it, it's yep. got a few things that could have cleaned it up a little bit. Heck, even yep. just some layout changes would have made it a little bit nicer. And yeah, so just to kind of give a little bit of uh, background here. So we all know that Fizbin's book was delayed a little bit. Something that we were talking about also is that when looking at pictures to kind of put together our presentation for the book here, the Wizards Media Guide or the media materials that they normally put out with books were very, very light. Normally there's a lot of like interior images of stuff from the books and like four or five, six zip files worth of images that they'll put out there for you to go ahead and pick through it to build kind of your own uh, marketing for their tomes. Fizbins did not do that. It basically provided a picture of the non-special book, a picture of the special book, and that was about it. You know, again, I'm not going to put the tinfoil hat on and all that, but I do think that that's interesting that the book was delayed. The media kit is light. Not even totally sure where I'm going with that, but only just to go ahead and say that I'm not quite sure kind of how that all plays into what was going on. Obviously, the media kit is all digital images, so it's not like they couldn't have put more things in there, and they just chose not to. And so I think that is an interesting choice in 2021 with the amount of people that are talking about this book. All that to go ahead and say, tonight, we're going to deal with kind of the first half of the Fizzman's book. We're going to talk about chapter one, so how to introduce dragon-themed options and characters and stuff like that. Uh, get into the character creation part. We're going to deal with chapter two, which is the pretty extensive chapter on dragon magic. And then next time we're going to talk about the description of all the dragons, the bestiary. We're going to dig through that a little bit and how to bring dragons to life to your table as the dungeon master side. So kind of think of tonight as kind of the player centric side. And then next week's going to be the uh, storyteller side of things. And gentlemen, I think uh, without any further ado, let us crack in. So chapter one, character creation part. Why don't you give us your first impressions, Lou and Ika? Yeah. I truly think the character creation portion, chapter one, was an exercise in pluses, minuses, some pretty decent things, 
some missing things mm. and a few things that are like, eh, not so much. That said, the plushes were really good. And yeah. even the yeah. things that were kind of in the middle were really good. They're solid. They're things we need in this game. They're things I'm going to go to the well for. I'm going to use in my games. There are options I can perfectly see player characters picking up and using in my games. Dragons feature heavily in one of my two games that I'm running right now, and they're yeah. part of the same world, so they are in the world that the other people ge could get into. I think these work. I have one Dragonborn in my Saturday game. I don't have any others at this moment, but I can tell you what, these are good options for him. If yep. I'm running Dragonborn or if storytellers are out there with Dragonborn in their games, this is going to be a much better chapter because you're going to want to change things over. If you've got a Dragonborn who has only twice in two and a half years used his breath weapon, then you want to use these options. Yep. And they're very good. I am sure the player in our Patreon games who plays Kilvarex will be talking to you and asking, hey, what are we going to use these options? Yep, absolutely. Because I think they're solid. Yep. I love the fact that we're bringing in gem dragons, and I love the gem dragon dragonborn. I think it's great that we add that to the mix. Like, fantastic. Yeah. That's actually one of my big wins for the book as a whole, is that we now have gem dragon dragonborn. Yep. But it's missing Cobalts. It is. I really wanted the UA Cobalts. Well, Cobalts are a playable race in Volos already. So it being in the UA was a little bit weird and misleading, because that's one of the first things I jumped on, too, is why aren't there Cobalts in here? But Volos made them a playable race, so they're already canon. I, maybe that's why they chose not to. Kind of the same thing with the Hobgoblin, why they took the Hobgoblin out of the Feywild book. Yeah. Right. Yep. I liked the new flavor and the way it was presented. I'd really yep. like to have seen that made it in. Dragonborn were in the game too. They were just I know. worked badly and they needed mm. better op kobolds needed better options. Yep, and I agree. This was good. I thought what they presented in the UA gave a great way to do something other than every kobold has pack tactics. Yep. Yep. But the kobold is what I made when we were working on characters for that concept. And I had a lot of fun building him. So I wish he had made it in. But yeah, this is definitely a dragonborn a dragonborn chapter. I think thing. on some levels, it's almost a Dragonborn book. Well, it is. Fizzben's yep. Book of Dragons, and yeah. you know, there is only one playable race 100% linked to dragons. So right. it kind of makes right. sense. I do love that you both invoked the UA. So we did an episode, episode 21, in fact, about the UA about six months ago at this point, where we talked about the very beefy lineages, uh, draconic options on Earth Arcana. And Liwanika, you will be amused, I think, by your consistency, because virtually to a level of detail that I did not know that you could muster over the span of six months, you have cited pretty much the exact same thing about what you like about the new Dragonborn versus what you didn't like about the old version of the Dragonborn, invoking the same character, right? And the same thing, like, you know, almost verbatim talking about how that character could never use his breath weapon. And if you've only used your breath weapon once or twice in the entire span of your blah, blah, this is for you. Almost exactly. So I will invite listeners after you're done listening to this episode, episode 43, go back and listen to episode 21. Uh, and you can hear just how consistently Wanika is. And I will also echo that I really liked the kobold in the UA. I thought that the kobold in the UA was fun. We at that time also said Not fun. Ferocious. that the draconic roar power had 
the potential to be overpowered, but was very nicely constrained by a limited range. It's the whole concept that I'll say the same thing because I actually listened to the episode earlier. I'll Mm -hmm. say the same thing again. That's basically the imposing advantage or disadvantage is the way to get most success in Dungeons & Dragons 5e. Like It is the elegant mechanic that basically spells success or failure. And a kobold being able to impose disadvantage on somebody without a test is bordering on overpowered. It's only available within 10 feet. And so that's its saving grace. Now, why the kobolds did not factor at all- They didn't even make it into this book, yeah. The kobolds as a whole didn't even make it in. And so that's, you know, unless they're later in the bestiary, but I don't think they are. I don't even think that they're in the bestiary. Even if they were, it would yeah, be a playable thing. So right. Right. it's not here in the character creation player section. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope, totally. They're not even mentioned in, in the bestiary. They're not even mentioned. So yeah. Anyway, all that to go ahead and say that I think it's very interesting to look at what happened here through the lens of the Unearthed Arcana article that they put out a few months ago. Because for the most part, our feedback was at that point was that the stuff that was in there was good. And some of it had either the potential to be overpowered or was actually overpowered. You know, I will look at some of the breath weapons on the various forms of Dragonborn. The chromatic warding, for example, that the chromatic ones get. Basically, the Dragonborn in the UA all got their kind of secondary ability at level 3 instead of level 5. Pushing it out to level 5, I think, helps the game balance a little bit. But when you look at things like the actual weapons themselves, or the actual uh, breath weapons, right? Uh, instead of 1d10 damage to start, it used to be 2d8, right? It was right. more damage, that kind of thing, right? And so, you know, all that to go ahead and say that, like, clearly these were playtested. They were playtested very well, and they right. listened to the feedback from that playtest because, you know, we looked at it and said, eh, you know what, that could be overpowered. And lo and behold, when we see it in the book, it it's scaled down. scaled back, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's yeah. a good thing. Scaling back just that little bit, even if you take power out of it, at the table, we're running a combat. You've got five or six people at your table. You're DMing it. You want things to move quickly and smoothly. I'm tier one. My breath weapons one die. I'm tier two. My breath weapons two die. Yep. Three for three die. Four for four die. That's pretty. So that's going to make yeah. your players feel great. The Dragonborn player, she is going to be amazed at your table because it's intuitive. It's easy. It flows. If you've got a brand new player and they forget, I don't have to devote that little pocket of brain power to it. That is actually something we've been talking about for the entire time we've been doing this show. Consistency. Consistency. Scale it and be consistent. It makes the game easier to manage. It makes the game easier to learn. It makes the game easier to play. And it makes fun that much better. Yeah, all that to go ahead and say then, the Dragonborn sublineages, for lack of a better term, I give those a solid B. And I'm going to take off some points because they didn't include the Kobold. I would have gone A-. minus. They took off the Kobolds. So I have to go B+. plus. Because I really love those gem dragon options. And I like the fact that the whole issue of whether it's cone or line got simplified to everything's a line. They made elegant some things that were a little wonky and could get confusing. That's a conversation with a new player, by the way. I want to do this, the line, it's whatever. They're clean here, but that choice gets all kinds of wonky complicated with some of the gifts and feats and other things that come in the book. But yes. Like wonky complicated. We're talking about this chapter. True story. Not the other chapter. <laughs> Stick with where we are. And yeah. to your point, Josh, it's interesting. 
any difficulty I had deciding how I felt about this chapter comes after the Dragonborn because there's other stuff in the same chapter. Yeah. And that threw me off when it comes to my rating. Yep. Pluses, minuses. I'll back Lee up on the B plus. I'm tempted to go down to the B, but I'll say B plus but with slightly different reasons. You know, I only drop it because of the Cobalt. If the Cobalt made it in here, I'd give the races an A because they came through well. We liked them before and they scaled them back to make them better. They listened to the play test. I think that the three versions, the sub lineages, as Josh called it, came out pretty spot on. They're written reasonably well and they're pretty well balanced. So if it weren't for the drop of the Cobalt, I'd give them the A. It's just because right. the Cobalt, man. It's just because of the Cobalt. Yep. Give us right. our Cobalt. <laughs> Give us our kobold with draconic roar because that's what made right. it amazing. But yeah, very. Yeah, we already have yeah. kobolds. For the record, I'll be adding that to DD Beyond for my players. So that will be an option for future kobold, no matter that's what. Like <laughs> so let's move from the sub lineages to the subclasses. So there are two subclasses in the book here the Way of the Ascendant Dragon Monk right. subclass and the Drake Warden Ranger subclass, both of which appeared in UAs. They appeared in separate UAs, uh, and they've been in the UA for a long time, particularly the Drake Warden came out a while ago. And this is finally a book that they have appeared in. I'm going to echo a article that we found on comicbook.com talking about this monk subclass. Comparing it to its UA, it's much weaker. The powers are more expensive. They cost more key to use. You get less benefit. It, you know, the 11th level power, the, the way aspect of the worm, much less powerful than its UA equivalent. The 17th level power is the same, but by 17th level, so okay. what? Right? Exactly. Right. This is weaker than its UA equivalent. Now that said, I still like it. It's still strong, I think. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Yeah. In fact, one of the changes that they made that I absolutely love was in the Tongue of the Dragon's ability. In the UA, Tongue of the Dragons only allowed you to learn Draconic. That was it, right? Which on one level makes sense. But the monk now being able to go ahead and basically it gets a free language now. But the way that it wraps it and says that you can learn Draconic or any other language, I just really liked that. I was like, you know what? That's actually kind of cool. Calling it Tongue of the Dragon, allowing it to kind of tap into that ancestral ancestral no. lineage, knowledge of, of a legendary creature. That's kind of cool. That's a change that normally, normally I would be the one saying, you know what? It had flavor as you learned Draconic. You should have kept it as Draconic. This is a dragon. Sub and I'm actually going to say, nope. I like this change. Nope. Tongue of Dragons is more narrative. It's got a much better yeah. narrative flow. It's got better story. Yep. I like it for all the same reasons that the, both of you have mentioned, but I'll go one step further. I'm a storyteller that makes language a major factor in my games. Yeah. The language your characters speak and or read and write becomes important. My characters go to different nations. They go to different lands. People speak different languages. I've had times where my players don't have the ability to communicate well. And they'll use charisma scores and they'll do skill challenges to find other ways to communicate, but it makes getting it and pro providing information more challenging. This is something that now if someone chooses this class and this subclass is going to have some weight, it has, it becomes better in games that utilize that versus games that are like, I don't care if you're in a stock game that doesn't really matter if what languages you use, it's a throwaway line. So my recommendation is if you've got a player playing this, make sure languages count in your game. Make those language options matter. 
And that way you're rewarding your player for the choices that they've made. So the monk subclass is, uh, as I said, it stayed pretty solid. You know, it says, I think the article that uh, you had posted to us said uh, that it had gotten, I think the word was nerfed, Nerfed, but it kind of needed to be, if I recall. I think that that was the crux of the argument is that the article basically went on the argument that said that monks don't need nerfing, that they actually need a little bit of oomph to them in general. Fair point. Right. Monks and general, we'll be talking a little bit more oomph. Yeah. We haven't done a monk episode yet for the subclasses. And so I don't know. I think it'll be interesting when we do do monks to see if our assessment on that is correct. I will be honest that monk is probably the, the class that I understand least in 5e. I have never had any desire to play a monk. And so it's just not something that I have looked at in depth. And so I'm really looking forward to us talking about monk so I can go ahead and do that deep dive and really in- interpret it take it back to the article. That was basically what their argument was, is that yes, the subclass is powerful and damn it, the monks deserve a powerful subclass, especially if they're channeling the power of dragons. I would kind of agree with you in three quarters. I think monks, if you look at all of their subclasses, are pretty underpowered versus other classes, subclasses. That said... The UA was much more powerful than other monk subclasses. It was in this weird position. I don't think it was severely overpowered versus other subclasses. I think it actually balanced fairly well with other subclasses and certainly the latter other subclasses out of books like Tasha's and such. Yeah, yeah. But because it got up to that standard, it left everything else in the dirt. And that's (laughs) where it had a problem. It couldn't balance the game without unbalancing itself within itself. Thus, something had to change. So by nerfing it a little bit, you still get something that's most probably still fairly powerful among monks, but now seems mildly on the lower end. I wouldn't say quite weak sauce, but this habanero isn't hurting nobody either. Yeah, right. No, it's kind of a medium sauce. Fair enough. And I think uh, I have a similar issue to Josh when I came to coming up with things to be, you know, really passionate about for this subclass. I haven't played a 5e monk yet. Yep. And I actually want to, but reading this subclass didn't start a story in my head for how the character was going to get, how the character was going to be. No. And that's really my first level of judging. So, I mean, it's decent, but a little lackluster. Yep. With the with the nerfage. If I can depart and break our standard format, and I'm going to throw something back to a previous episode here. The first monk subclass that I've ever been interested in playing came out of Jimmy's Fay book. The Drake Warden, in contrast. Yeah. yeah. I had some stories to grow in my brain for, and I'm yeah. happy with, Let's the, Drake get the, goodies. with, with yeah. the Drake Warden subclass. So. Yeah, have at it. All right. Well, just flavor. I mean, not just in terms mm. of the concept of where they come from and what they do, but like down to flavoring your ranger companion into a drake and the abilities that it gets as the two of you advance yeah. because it advances with you. Yeah. I mean, the amount of story that's in there that you could use for anything from uh, Aragon, where he finds Safira's uh, egg and, and hatches her. They give you some lists on on your origin, how you got your egg, how you got your companion. One of them is yes. you, you find an egg and it hatches. Once you get past the flavor and you get actually into the abilities, they're pretty cool. I mean, the yep. Drake companion, 
he does suffer from the same limit that 5e rangers suffer from that i really yep. uh, that i homebrew out of my game and that he can't do anything but react and dodge unless you spend a bonus action to tell him to do something else i'm going to say again in my opinion any person who can train an animal could easily teach it without even being a ranger just train an animal attack the thing i'm shooting Whenever I'm shooting something, attack it. And then you don't have to use an action. So I, I work stuff like that into my game. But then they have to use an action if they want to change what it's doing. So there's, right. there's lots of options you can work out there. I digress, however. Um, mm -hmm. But then the bonds that you form between the two of them are really yeah. groovy, too. And um, I don't want to wind up talking about all of them. I want to make sure you all got some stuff left to talk about, too. Yep. By the time you're sharing resistances, it's pretty hot. I, I'm very yep. pleased with this. I am anxious to play a drake warden yep and the right campaign it could be a whole lot of fun a ranger with a dragon what's better than that and it can become a mount well okay so before lee before you dive in there i'm gonna say the one thing i didn't like about the drake warden and they changed this from the ua and i was pissed about it at seventh level you can use your companion as a mount except by seventh level when you can go ahead and start to do the really cool things with it your companion can't fly anymore if you use it as a mount and that's because your companion used to be a large creature and now it's only a medium creature they take away flying and i think at seventh level flying is much less overpowered than it is earlier in the game and they should have kept it in. that is a true statement and yeah. i have you do get that ability back at 15 but yeah but again tier three bordering on tier four like you've got a wizard that can make you fly at that point i would go a little further and just go with how much i love this what i really like is i think we're back to the fact that beast is an actual thing it's not summoned it's not magical it's a creature that you found that you befriended that you reared uh that you trained you trained with you trained for all of those things and i really really like that i have a great story in mind i have a character who is not terribly high level that I would be happy to change to a ranger at this point so he could just pick up Drake Warden at this point forward and pick up a nice white dragon Drake or white Drake because I think it'd be awesome. Happens to yep. be my uh, barbarian dragonborn, actually. He's actually a silver, but I think that would work out really nicely to uh, have him switch over to Drake Warden because he prowls the north and all of that. And I think that would yeah. be a really cool thing to have a party going through and then all of a sudden see this lone figure with this hulking beast <clears throat> next to him uh, yeah. roll up on him. Uh, yep. You can dismiss it and awesome. summon it when you want to. It's, uh, so it's, it, it kind of plays both games. Yeah. It is a creature, but it's the manifestation of a spirit that's bound to you. So you can dismiss it and summon it. If it dies, it doesn't die. It, it just goes back to its plane and then yeah, it just evaporates back, yeah. back to its plane and then you can resummon it again later. So it kind of plays both ways, which is kind of neat. You know, you go into the city, you can send him on his merry way because it's hard yep. to sit at the end with, you know, a dragon. Yeah. All right, let's talk briefly about the feats. There's not a lot in here on the feats. There's not a lot to say about the feats either. They have no flavor. The feats have no flavor. And they're pretty much exactly the same as they were in the UA with a little bit less flavor than they had in the UA, which is really saying something. They're fine. They could have been better. They deserved better. I think that it's one like thing stereo I think, instructions almost it's literally just enough words and plain yep. english to describe yep. it with no artistry whatsoever. No artistry whatsoever. Yeah. The way that they described the feats. It's it's yeah. At the end of the episode, I think let's revisit that point at the end of the episode because I think that there's a lot more that can be said on that particular yeah. topic in this stuff. 
I will say one thing that I think is very interesting that I'm noticing in this book that has not necessarily been so explicit in other books. And I think that it has something to do with, they keep talking about how the whole action economy of abilities versus spells versus attacks and everything is going to be playing out in 5.5. Have you guys noticed that in this first chapter, every ability, everything that could happen to either the subclass or the lineage or even in these feats, every little thing has its own title. So it's not just the chromatic dragons can't just go ahead and in, uh, can't just make the weapon stronger. It's called chromatic infusion, which tells me that that's now a marketable piece that can't not marketable, but a, like a removable piece that said you could take chromatic infusion out as an ability and make it a special ability of something else. And so I wonder if that's kind of where they're starting to go with that. I just I noticed it more in this book than I had noticed it in other places, and I I'm not sure if it's just that I am that I'm looking for it. <laughs> you know, I think you're not wrong there because I think that, and I actually like that. And here's why. If I'm building, let's say I take a Drake and I want to give it a new ability to increase its CR. I can now literally go into D and D beyond, take the standard Drake, copy and paste chromatic infusion into the special features on said Drake. And yep. now the Drake has yep. that and I can up its CR. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's, it's now a legendary like, action, yeah. Well, a legendary action, it could be just another, wherever you want to drop it, however you want to call it, but you can just do that. It's not that you couldn't do it before, but it's making it more intuitive. And, yeah. and I know we keep talking about D&D Beyond, there are other tools out there, and some people just do it on paper or do it on their, whatever their word processing program or soft app it is. It makes it so much easier to say, I like that thing, it has a title. If I take that and put it on this, golden. Yep. Right. It makes it searchable if you're looking at PDFs or if you're creating large documents and things like that. And I actually like that feature. I think that's actually a really good feature that is for the benefit of the storytellers like us who homebrew either wholesale or like to homebrew using known features. We know this feature's balanced. We know where it's balanced because we see where it fits in. So now we can drop it yep. into this other thing. That's actually a really fair point, too, about so, how they're already balanced. Yeah. I've realized something. Pardon me while I try to make a connection here for y'all. Sure. I think that what they're trying to do is include the flavor, because we were talking about how it had no artistry, because it does in those titles. Chromatic yeah. Infusion is the only artistry or reactive resistance, the, the name of the ability in it, right? Yep. So it's giving yep. you that flavor with Chromatic Infusion. And then I think the second piece that they're trying to do with the flavors, and when you look at the section before where they're talking about dragon character ties, yeah, they're skipping, you know, they're not giving you anything about where it came from or, you know, what causes you to get this feat or this ability or how you would get this gift. All of those things are gone now. Instead, you've got to choose your own flavor table that's a little lackluster, but up uh, above, it kind of helps you figure out your, yeah. your ties to the dragons for why you yeah. have it. But mind you, it's things like, one of the options is I use my class features to take on draconic characteristics. Parentheses, barbarian, sorcerer. Yeah. So if that's choose your own flavor, I mean, that's like, what, MRE lasagna? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's certainly not up to the omelet. And I will at any service member who didn't like the omelet and the granola bar back in the 90s. Come <laughs> at me, bro. I got you. I got you. That was good stuff. 
you're not wrong. And I'm going to go back to the mechanics because that's a great point that I can't state any better than you did, Glenn. But if you look at each of these feats, they each have two things. And if you didn't like the way any of them work, here's a neat thing you could do. You could actually mix and match them. So like, no, absolutely. If you didn't like the reactive resistance, drop it, add the ability score increase and just pick instead, because every feat has two features. If you've got two powered features, then you don't get a half ASI. If you get a half ASI, then you only get one powered feature. What they literally did is show us how to construct a brand new feat. And while I would have preferred them to state what they were doing, yeah. So then they're like, hey, in this section, we've done this. This is something storytellers could DMs could do moving forward. If you like draconic features, you could use yeah. this to build your own draconic feats. From that perspective, they could have gone one step forward and said, I made draconic feats a section, uh, kind of like skills. And you, when you take yeah. the f- one of the gifts of a dragon, choose two. Yeah, yep. choose two. It's a feat. You just make it one big list. Yeah. yeah. And I think that would have been hot. That could be very cool if they if they put the effort into develop it and develop it well and all of the abilities were cool and balanced. That could be really neat. I like the fact that it's there and it does actually warm my little heart just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Know that there was some deep goodness within that. Yeah, no, there's good stuff in this book. But I well, struggle with the fact that that was a lot of work for three minds to have to go through to pull it out out of one section for as small as that section was. I would argue it's not there. I would okay. argue that we're looking at it. We don't see it. We say, you know what would have been cool is if they'd done this. That's not the same thing as it being there. Well, it is to a degree, like with the part that Lee was talking about, where each of these are divided effectively into building blocks so you can mix and match in the ways that we right. would homebrew it. But when we're talking about homebrew and the work that we do for that, that's not book. Yeah. We're no longer talking raw. At all, we're, so. we're no longer talking rules as written. Like, yeah, we yeah. can look at that and say, okay, each one's got two features. If I just take any two features and put them together, press right. or change, oh, I have a feat. Right. Uh, no, the feat's what it says in the book. <laughs> so, well, basically, what we're saying is there's some decent information in here, but the layout and the presentation could have used a little bit of work, maybe. Yep. PLC. But with some work, we can find great value for it. We have a big weekend here at Tabletop Journeys. We're going to do our first live taping at Dr. James Con this weekend. It's a convention being thrown in honor of dear friend of the show, James Hosier, by his brother Sheldon. The live show is going to start around 4 p.m. Saturday, November 6th, so make sure you tune into our YouTube channel and check it out. But more importantly, this is normally the part of the show where we ask you to help support us by joining the legions of Patreon subscribers. Instead, today we'd like you to help us give a bucket of money to the James A. Hussier College Admissions Assistance Fund. We have a GoFundMe campaign running right now, and we want to support their mission in providing assistance to poor, minority, and otherwise disadvantaged individuals by helping them overcome the hurdles in applying for college, including to help pay for application fees, filling out financial aid, and scholarship form. If everybody listening to this episode right now gave $5, we would double our goal. So help us reach it by going to www.gofundme.com slash F slash J-A-H-C-A-A-F. And thank you for your support.
Let's talk about the Dragon Magic chapter. Now, this is another chapter that was based very strongly on the most recent Dragon Unearthed Arcana article. Uh, Luanika, I know in particular you had some things that you really liked about this. Why don't you start with this one? Tell me what sang for you. I'm weird about spellless. I don't play a ton of spellcasters, but I love right. good spells that I can either use for my NPCs or that I could see my player characters wanting to take. And I thought this list had some neat spell. They worked really well. I enjoyed and love Rhymes Binding Ice. That was an amazing spell. That's yep, a spell my favorite I'm going spell. To be using a lot. It fits so many nice things. Yeah. And the fact that they showed it when they were talking about it, the picture that went with it, was a white dragon, an ancient white who cast spells using this power where they've got a breath weapon who does some similar things, but different. But a breath weapon has a recharge. Now they've got a spell. Now they have spells that they can cast per day. This makes them a little beefier. One of the things that I've talked about with dragons before this book, even the ones that have some cool stuff, some of the limitations are such that all you have to do is survive it the first time and now you got to run on a beast with a bucket of hit points that you can whittle down. This is one of those things that, okay, I got a dragon. I'm going to make it cast spells. I'm going to do this. I want to play a sorcerer who does dragon magic. Let's say as opposed to a sorcerer whose dragon is fire, let's make our sorcerer a dragon who's white. I know I go to whites a lot. They are some of my favorite dragons. Black and white dragons are my two favorite dragon types. Here's the deal. I think that it's one of those cool things like playing a dragon sorcerer or, or a dragon warlock. Now we're talking some stuff. Now you're a dragon warlock from a white dragon. You have the, when you get to the level where you get the spell, now you're singing yeah. because that's evocative of the dragon's power. Yep. It is built in narrative. I just love that. I totally agree with you that Rhymes Binding Ice was a fabulous spell. My favorite was Torn Between Two. I loved Rolotham's Psychic Lance. It's a great spell. Nice. And it, once again, when you look at what its version was in the UA, we both said, boy, overpowered, holy crap, a lot of damage. You know, because it's one of those things that you, uh, it, the original was 10d6 psychic damage that you would cast it on round one. And then you could reapply the psychic damage for 10 rounds after that because it lasts for a minute. Your total damage wound up being 110 D6 worth of potential damage on that. That's insane for a fourth level spell. Yeah. <laughs> so they scaled that back. They made it 76, which I think is much more reasonable <laughs> yeah. for a spell that has that much oomph to it. I love that one. And, and it again, doesn't I thought seem the to burst worked. anymore either, does it? It looks like it's a one time 76. I missed that also, but yeah, the casting time is one action, duration is instantaneous, so it no longer lasts for a minute, which is good. Yeah. That's a good change too for a fourth level spell. The other one that is my favorite, and again, it's more just because of how much I love Fabe, <coughs> Nathair's Mischief is just hysterical. For me, it was either the Rhymes Binding Ice that Liwanika was already talking about, or my next favorite spell, a Shardalon Stride, which is effectively Rocket Boots. <laughs> with, with no with no opportunity attacks. Yes. Billowing flames of a dragon burst from your feet and you get an extra 20 <laughs> feet of movement per round and don't involve do not provoke opportunity attacks. Rocket boots. For what? so many different character classes, the extra movement and zero opportunity attacks could be so clutch. 
I really, really, really liked that yeah. one for being, especially for being a mobile caster or a mobile archer. But when you move within five feet of a creature or object that isn't being worn or carried, that's not front. That doesn't distinguish between friend or foe. Everything <laughs> within five feet of you takes one d six fire damage from your trail of heat. Yeah, but still, yeah. lots of fun. I think building an artificer with with actual rocket boot like boots that like focus the dragon energy. Bro, out- that is exactly how Sprocket's boots would work to channel yeah, this. Spell. Totally, yes. absolutely. That's I, I totally. part of the reason I liked it so much because yeah, it absolutely. created a story in my head. He had rocket boots. Sprocket can absolutely have rocket boots. Absolutely done. I'll, I'll talk to the storyteller. Yeah, yeah? I've heard you know him pretty well. <laughs> One of the other ones I really liked was Summon Dragon Spirit. Yep. I think as a fifth level spell, it is amazing. In fact, my notes was, damn, son. Right. <laughs> it's just, I really like that spell. Yeah. You know, I really found myself in a situation where it's like, I think these are some really cool things. I did notice something as we were talking about this, though. With the exception of the Psychic Lance, none of these spells are on the Warlock list. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why that would be. Particularly since warlocks can't have a draconic patron. So, I mean, yeah, you, you so, think they'd be even more lined up for spells. Note to storytellers and homebrewers out there. If you want your ancient worm to be a patron for a warlock, which is something that's clearly suggested, even though not detailed, then you're going to have to take a list like this and make it your additional spell list for that warlock as you plot out that warlock subclass that you'd effectively have to build. Uh, that's right. I did not even pick up on that. That's huh. If you're in a grading mood, that would drop my grade for this quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even caught it. Good catch. I mean, yeah. Before we go there, let's talk about the magic items section. It's a pretty light section. I had a good thing and I had a bad thing that I wanted to say about it. Okay. Having just watched the movie Dune, the crystal blade, my only notes on that were it's a Chris knife. It's basically, it's a sword made out of a tooth of a crystal dragon. It's a Chris knife. The sandworms are now crystal dragons and Chris knives are made from the teeth of the sandworms. And so perfect. So that's the good thing. That was just like a fun little, hey, look at that. The bad thing was the magic item, the golden canary figurine of wondrous power. Goofy. Could they have not? Is that the most creative title for that magic item that they could have come up with? The Golden Canary Figurine of Wondrous Power. Like, I work in IT. I read technical manuals, and people who write technical manuals would look at that and say, damn, that's dry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> need some sauce. Need some something. Like, the Golden Canary Figurine of Wondrous Power. Like, come on. Yeah, like, come on. Like, sad trombone. Like, that's just like, but you know. That kind of speaks to what we've said. It's in a number of spots. It's almost like, like they took their the first description and then in the second editing process, didn't go back in and try to find better words. I mean, you don't yeah. have to have a thesaurus on your desk anymore. You can just put in thesaurus.com in your address bar and, and you can find new words. Yep. I actually think somebody thought this was going to be funny and everybody would laugh and chuckle and think it was cool. Well, I didn't think it was horrible. I didn't have Josh's reaction to it. I get it. I mean, the whole item, I think, is a little bit, eh. I yeah. just didn't care for the, I didn't focus on the on the title, but. The name in particular does sound, yeah. yeah it yeah. just sounds boring. It's just boring. So, you know. I had two items that I picked out of this list that I thought I would talk about. And I actually okay. loved one of them. thought the other was uh, kind of cool, but could use some work and some flavor to it. Sure. One was the dragon wing bow. I thought they had some nice yeah. description. I could visualize it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I love things that 
cause things to be magic, or if you don't have the magic uh, item, you get that D and D cartoon look where it just shoots, you know, force damage, whatever. Yep, I liked that, and I think that was kind of cool. And then the damage being, you know, whatever dragon it was flavored by, I think is neat. Yep. I think there's some great applications for that. Yeah. Uh, that, that was actually really- something in the UA episode, Luanika, not to cut you off, but that was actually something that you said about the feats is that the feat that grants the dragon's ability to your weapon attacks, but doesn't make them magical was a downside for you. And so I'm not surprised that you like this one. I guess I am pretty consistent. Man. You're pretty damn consistent, man. I'm telling you. Like that's... <laughs> It's almost yeah. like you could trust what I say. Mm, I'm not oh, that far. That far <laughs> we can trust what you say when you're not full of crap. We can trust you to say the same thing. Whether or not we can trust what you say is a whole different argument. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Audience is listening, man. <laughs> In all seriousness, I just thought it looked cool. It felt cool, had a cool feel to it. And I thought it was worth calling out. It was the one that stuck out for me. The other one I liked, and I could just picture a number of bad guys with something like this and it being very descriptive and very cool, is the, the flail of Tiamat. I just thought it was mm. very cool, but there's one thing about it that I really didn't like. You get to pick which damage it did. You've got five things and you're using a flail. I've only swung a flail one time and I almost took my own head off with the damn thing. So they're not that easy to control which of five balls head up in one area or what have you. And I would think that the easiest way to do that is roll a D 10, one and two is one color two, you know, whatever. And that way, when you roll that D 10, that tells you what the energy type was that does the damage. I would think randomizing that makes this a better weapon. I liked the flavor of the flail of Tiamat. And again, I I totally agree with you that the mechanics of it were kind of like, "Eh, how's that actually going to work? Right. I actually thought it would be kind of cool to go ahead, rather than have a flail with five different types of heads, have five flails. And they're already legendary weapons. Just make five of them and say that, you know, like when all five of them are together, they do a thing or something like that. But yeah. That could be a campaign right there. Well, exactly. That is... Again, we're going back to that, that there are great story hooks in this stuff, but you kind of got to dig a little bit to find them. So right. little sweat equity will go a long way with this book. Yes. Okay. Glenn, what about you? What do you think of the magic items? So I liked them. I mean, and they have a solid list here and there's definitely flavor in it, but some of it, again, y'all have covered a bit of it already. You know, the flail of team, the flail of team at seems cool, but it seemed pretty complicated, but my favorites. And I tend to be, when it comes to magic items, kind of like the utility guy. I want a Batman utility belt of weird magic items that do odd yep. things. And I really <laughs> liked the amethyst lodestone as an example. Yeah, that was very cool. Which is basically just a fist sized chunk of amethyst that lets you do random weird things to it, like cast flight or gravitational thrust, where you can expend a charge to move a creature 20 feet in a direction of your choice, re- casting the spell reverse gravity. They're all just weird little things that you could pull out, but nobody's going to expect it. Nobody's going to know it's there. And I kind of dig magic items like that. Yeah. The other one that I really liked was the platinum scarf. And just <laughs> by making it platinum, and you know, that Fizban is being linked to Paladine, ultimate platinum dragon. It makes you wonder if maybe this was Fizban's or made from scales or made by him. But basically it's a 
scarf made of sturdy cloth covered in platinum colored scales. And again, it gives you multiple effects. You can pull a scale off up to three a day and either get breath of life for a heal, platinum shield for a plus one shield that you can carry into battle. Or, and this I think is a little bit meh, radiant hammer. I'm not sure why they chose to make a dragon scale turn into a light hammer. I mean, yeah, I guess it could turn into anything you want it to turn into, but if it's going to turn into a weapon, I would think it would be, I don't know, something like a scale elongates. Yeah. It's already got a point. It's already got edges. Just have it grow a haft and it's a spear. Why a light hammer? I'm not sure, <laughs> but I like the multifaceted application of it. I really yeah. thought that was a cool magic. Art. They did actually have one of the pieces of artwork in the book that was actually Fizbin wearing the scarf. It's right at the very beginning. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Nice. Yep. But my favorite magic items is the introduction of horde magic items. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I might come up with my own as opposed to using the ones that they have here, though some of them sure. are kind of neat. But uh, yeah. that's a whole other section. Well, it is. So I thought that the whole, I mean, it's the next section that we're on to. So, I mean, I. You'd almost think it was a segue. I know. The items that are here, I agree with you, are maybe not my favorite. They also only provided three of them. But again, they provide you the framework mm-hmm. that industrious homebrewing storytellers can look at and say, oh, you know what? I can take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and I can make a decent stew out of this. So, Yeah, no, it's definitely, it puts the pieces there for you to build your own, but it doesn't give you a whole lot. Well, and it does some neat things in this section of this chapter where we get the horde item states. We get the quirks. We get some of the descriptions and how things increase in power and steeping a magic item in the horde and what that does. And it invites a little bit of question and some story in my mind. What dragon is going to let you put your magic item in his horde long enough for it to be powerful enough to hurt him? A dragon that you, that likes you. <laughs> right. You know. You got to sneak in. Deposit that. Shit, hide it underneath some stuff. Hope he doesn't notice. Come back yeah, to me later. You know, but. That's one of the things that came to my mind. Like, who's going to do that? That said, a dragon's minions all having steeped items now makes much more sense. Wait, are you saying that a minion knows dragon's horde better than he does? No. What I'm saying is that's not snuck. That's the dragon outfitting his minions. Look, a dragon has a minion to defend him. So why wouldn't he say, go out into the world again? I'm thinking adventure hooks. Yeah, yeah. Bad guys that are actually working for the dragon are out there collecting things, bringing it back so that they can steep. And then the guards that he trusts the most, the ones that he keeps close to at hand, are the ones that have the items that have steep. And so when the the player characters come in, it's little minions on the horizons or on the edges. It's bigger minions in. And then you've got those lieutenants that they're fighting that are wielding these really cool badass weapons yeah and then they have to fight the dragon who is behind it all yeah that sounds much more epic to me yep Yep. no fair enough you know i will say that i'm going to kind of jump to the end of this chapter here so we can kind of move on here the bit about the draconic gifts in general is really nice when it takes into consideration all everything that's in the horde and the all that stuff that's all really nice i liked it Again, it has opportunity in there. And I think the kind of the saving grace of the entire chapter was the bit at the very end, the feats as draconic gifts vignette at the end of the book that basically says it kind of alludes to what we've been talking about, right? Where it's like, look, we have all this stuff here. Work with your players. Players work with your DM. 
make a thing that you're happy with, right? Yeah, you know, that's like how to homebrew 101 right there when they're talking exactly about it. right. How to go ahead and take a feat and make it draconic because it, it goes through a whole list of like existing feats and says, here's how to make it, how's here to give it a, a draconic twist or something like that. You know, I think that kind of alludes to the thing that we're seeing. I just wish that there had been more of that in this entire chapter. Yeah. So I really, really, really loved the concept of the draconic gifts. Before the book came out, when I read that it was it was one of the things that was coming, and I was really excited for it. I'm not going to say I was let down, because it does include all kinds of stuff in here that I can use to make some really cool ideas and use as inspiration. I don't even want to say I was let down. I liked them. I liked them a lot. I think yeah. that it could have been done with a few... Uh, if you're going to make an entire thing, a new game mechanic called Draconic Gifts, I think there could have been a few more yeah. ideas from them. Yep. Well, Man. And again, I'm just thinking, you take a party that's not absolute do-gooders. You take a dragon who might be losing that fight. Find some way to protect himself for a couple of rounds and parlays. I'm a creature of immense power. I can give you the way. Basically, make a dragon the patron, a la Tasha's. If you spare me, I will stop raiding village A and B and C. And I will give you a line on bigger and worse evils than me Mm -hmm. for your troubles i will grant you each a gift of power yeah they have a word for those in ravenloft by the way yeah so he's turned adventurer's evidence yeah and now i'm going to sleep soon anyway you let me do that i'll seal up my lair you walk away with the gifts i think that has some really great potential. And then you can turn around and have a party that eat. I, we talked in other episodes, how I don't necessarily give like giving away lots of magic items. Cause I think it's a little weird, but yep. a gift is something that I would do. You now have advantage on checks a and B because you know, that's the gift he gave you or, you know, dragon wiles. And then somebody else has speech. Cause you're going to foreign lands soon. You can literally just seed your party, give them all something really cool and unique from this encounter. Everybody walks away with something they didn't. They technically defeated the enemy. Meanwhile, yeah. you got a big bad for some future campaign. Yep. And to be fair, if it goes the other way and your heroes are just like, nah, sorry, bud. And, you know, they often gifts can be given or they can be taken. Yep. Yeah. So the book presents that a draconic gift may be something that's bestowed upon you for slaying a dragon. So if you slay that ancient worm, you may get all on your very own with no idea that it was coming an echo yeah. of dragon's sight as a very rare draconic gift. Or, you know, any of the other ones detailed in here or that your dungeon master comes up with. So from that perspective, too, because I mean, yeah, it's nice to have the dragon ally and it's nice to have the future as a storyteller it's lovely to have the returning bad guy that you know the party lived from before but as a player this is dungeons and dragons man i want to go yeah. kill some dragons and this way i can kill that dragon and still get a cool ass gift yeah yeah instead of rewarding it with inspiration which is temporary give them a draconic gift which lasts and will be memorable Let's get to the points that I wanted to kind of talk uh, structurally about the book here to go ahead and wrap out this first episode and I'm going to start with the easy one. I think that we are spoiled by the fantastic writing that we have seen in books lately, in Wild Beyond the Witchlight, in the Van Richten's book, in Candlekeep. Fantastic writing up and down those books. 
Yep. This book does not have fantastic writing. There is a magic missing in the prose that I keenly felt. And we kind of alluded to that throughout the episode about how like the writing's a little static and dry and really just could have used some excitement and some passion and it's just not there. Did you guys feel that too or is that just me? I kind of did and it makes me wonder if though I really wanted this book because my game was going to dragons and I really wanted the source material because it, my game is getting there literally as this book dropped. It makes me wonder if release schedule and having more books is going to result in more books that are slightly less than they could have been. I think we'll have that answer when we look at Strixhaven, which we all kind of go into with knowing there might be some challenges, but the point we're talking about right here, right now, the quality of the prose, the quality of the writing, the feel of the book, whether we like the actual mechanics driven or not, and whether we can objectively say this was a good story that they're bringing to bear are two very separate things. And I think this is a great book where we can say largely mechanics good, prose bad. Yep. If I can si- oversimplify the issue, <laughs> the challenge will be in a book. <laughs> the challenge will Dragon's be- good, prose bad. <laughs> Thank you, Kilvarex. I am not. Yeah, double- right. Uh, <laughs> the challenge becomes what happens when there's a book that you're not that thrilled about the mechanics? Yeah. I don't come into Strixhaven loving the Magic the Gathering setting. Yeah. So the only value that I really hope to get out of this is either great lore that I can pick out in pieces and parts and drop into my game or mechanics that are very useful. The only way lore comes out is if the prose is good. And if it's left with just some mechanics, and we already know most of the mechanics we've already seen got dropped, they're going to leave me with the owl folk Uh, that I really wanted in the other book anyway, doesn't bode well overall. Starting with the allergy was an amazing way to start this book. It has caused me to forgive and still have very good feelings. We've been grading the various chapters. And honestly, without some of those good feelings going in, those grades could have been less. Prose worked really well on that front page. Yep. And it fell down elsewhere in the book. Fortunately, the mechanics picked up elsewhere in the book, which keeps it on an even keel so far. Yep. We're going to get into other chapters next week. I hope what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Too many books doesn't become a challenge for Watsy in the future. Yeah. Uh, of course it's going to. You increase your production schedule, it's going to apply stress to your production line. That's just a fact. Now, whether or not that's what we've part of why we've seen the delays that we've seen this year. I don't know. They're not exactly being completely forthcoming with all mm-hmm. the reasons for all of the delays. So what pushed Fizzbands back and got it to be released a little prose light? You know, maybe they had bigger problems than we thought and they in the end were rushing to get it back out because they'd already delayed it once and they just didn't give it that final remaster. Who knows? But the result is I agree a hundred percent. There are areas of the book where, you know, it, it does start to come in and shine a little bit. And the elegy of the first world in terms of, you know, writing the actual elegy, the, the dragon song out and then giving you some of the lore behind it. That part was was done pretty well. But a lot of the rest of it that I've read so far and I have not made it into the chapters we haven't covered yet. But so far, yeah, definitely, definitely lackluster in the way that it's presented and the way that it's written. Not that it's confusing. Maybe that it's 
I don't want to say oversimplified because that's good. That's, how, that's why it's not confusing, but it doesn't have any window addressing. It doesn't have anything to help draw you in. Yeah. I am going to go with that extra step, Glenn, that you kind of walked away from. I actually think that there are parts of it that are confusing. Like I look at the very first page. So you've got the elegy on one side. Fabulous. No problem there. The next page, the introductory, the treasury of dragons, basically the narrative saying what's in the chapters. And it has this green flavor text block, dragons and dragons. That's possibly the most convoluted three sentences that I've ever read in a Dungeons and Dragons book. Honestly, I'm not actually sure what they were trying to say in that. Fizbins, as the name states, is a book about dragons, but only secondarily a book about dragons. That is creatures with the dragon type. I'm not sure what they're trying to say. No, it is. <laughs> I can tell you what that was. And what they did was they left out a couple things that would have been critical. Quotes and saying that it was Fizbin. Because oh, yeah. okay. it is confusing yeah. and he double speaks a lot. Oh, okay. yes. If and so that's supposed to that be Fizbin's words. And we were reading that as, then I love it. Well, nope. and since yeah. you brought up Fizban's expert excerpts, they were all really flat too. Yep, totally agree. No character. Well, well, and that's no, my but... point. Limited, and I think that was really where I was going with that. His excerpts throughout the book were not great and very flat, and didn't feel like him. I thought that sentence did feel like him, but that wasn't even attributed to him. Oh, I really liked Dragon Sight too. The concept of Dragon Sight did that absolutely exist before, or that. is that new? Yep. Where? No, that's new. And I think that that kind of gloms onto the to my last point about kind of the, this book. Again, we've kind of alluded to it. There is gold in these hills. You really got to dig for it, though. You've got to be willing and capable of tearing apart kind of what is on the page and reassembling it in a way that works for your game to really make some of this stuff sing. I wish I knew why that was. And I, I'm not sure if it's because if it's just not organized in the way that my brain works and therefore, you know, it's like me, it's like, okay, well, I need to homebrew it. Like, that's fine. Or if it's not organized well, I don't know which one it is because I can't, I, I can't see the forest through the trees on this one. So I wish it was more explicit. I wish it gave us more. This will not go down as one of my favorite Watsy books. It will go down as probably one of my most used. And that's a weird dichotomy. And I think Watsy probably cares more about how much I use it. As a collector of books and a reader, I would prefer to have a book that I read and enjoy thoroughly and think of fondly yep. rather than a dictionary or an encyclopedia. One I will remember and one I will recommend versus one I just have and use. This is a book I'm going to grab often because of the pieces and parts. Yep. Without particularly being overly fond certainly not a grade fond of the book itself. I'm probably thus far just on what we've read so far and probably B to B minus. Yeah. Thus far. I think it's a good book. I think that, I mean, y'all are definitely right. We're definitely talking about an, op an area that truly is an opportunity for the book. But I think sometimes we're talking about seeing the forest through the trees that we lose track a little bit of how hard it is, and we got to give them a little bit of credit for this, to take such a broad topic as dragons in a game called Dungeons & Dragons, <laughs> where there has been so much lore spread across yeah. so many books, across That's so fair. many editions. Much of it conflicting. Much of it yeah. conflicting. And to come up with a way to try to make a unified draconic lore that spans across all of the established worlds of the material plane and create a compilation of 
all of that lore that without it being confusing or restating too much, because there's a lot of that in here. That's part of the things I don't like it. Some of the stuff could have been saved because they're restating stuff that we obviously already know about dragons, but how could they not? That's a tall order. I mean, what they were trying to do here to take all of that, condense it into one consolidated volume, add new content to that and expand the lore of dragons. That was a monumentous task. And that may very well be part of the reason why it was delayed in the first place and why they were like, I guess we need to put it out the way it is. Cause if we want to keep trying to yeah. work on this, it's going to be another year before we get it out. I mean, this was a huge, a huge undertaking to do and have it make sense. And they definitely didn't do a bad job. So grading on a bell curve, I'm going to give them more along the lines of a, a B plus to an A minus on, on total overall effort. So next week we're going to get into what I think is the strongest part of the book, and that's the Draconomicon and the Bestiary. It is the far and away biggest portion of the book are those two pieces. Um, and I think that a lot of the flaws that we see kind of at the beginning part of the book are not present in this section. I think that the uh, – I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about that with you guys uh, next week. So, And I'll confirm then whether or not – I had a secondary opinion that part of the reason was because honestly the player section was a little bit afterthought-ish because the main meat of what they were doing was coming yeah. on in the later chapters. Yeah. But I didn't yep. want to say that till I've read them because I haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that really <sighs> – there's an interesting debate to be had there, Glenn, about whether or not chapters one through th three, four, anyway, were so secondary that really what they wanted to produce was they wanted to produce chapter five. <laughs> That's really what they wanted to put out. But they couldn't put chapter five out and have it be a full book. They couldn't inflate that enough to be a full book. Well, so they had to go ahead and add pieces around it. And the player stuff is good material. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's fine. I just don't yeah. think it was yeah. the primary focus, which no. is why it feels kind of secondary. It was why it doesn't feel like the primary focus, yeah. Right. Watching his box themselves into a corner, they can't produce a book that is all for DM. Because they just did one. The Feywild book was explicitly just for DM. Yeah, so if it's not an adventure path, they cannot do a book that's all DMs. There's yep. going to have to be player content and character creation stuff and a book. So... I don't think it was specifically an afterthought, but it was definitely an add-on. It's like, we want to do dragon material. Get us the best player stuff we can do to go with dragon material. And that's important. They do need to put uh, player material out with it. But when you say that they can't produce a book that doesn't have both anymore, my question is, is it that they can't? Or is it that if they make sure that they include, even if it's a secondary afterthought-ish bit of player information in it, more people will buy it. So it's not just the DMs buying it, that players will buy it yep. too for that one chapter and they're going to spend their 50 bucks to get the book. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Check us out again next week where we talk about the rest of Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons, getting into the Draconomicon and uh, some of the DM stuff that's in the book. Really looking forward to that. And uh, gentlemen, we'll talk again uh, next week. We got a couple of big things coming up uh, here soon for us. So yeah. it'll be a pleasure to go ahead and be in the same room with you again uh, not that long from now. Coming right All up. Right. A live yeah. recording session in uh, person. Holy crap. I know. Holy it's crap. Right. <laughs> it will be. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much. And remember, players, make your next breath legendary. Or use a breath mint. Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs>
can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.